Welcome to Niner Sports Talk. I'm your host, Sam Perry. Glad to be back. Took a little hiatus with the new year and the new semester starting. So glad to be back. A lot to be excited for here with Charlotte Athletics having a big start to this 2024 year. Between excellent play from men's and women's basketball, the baseball and softball seasons being on the horizon, a lot to go over today. A lot of national sports coverage also to talk about. So we also have a special guest joining us today. So we'll get to that. But, um, Start with men's basketball. Coach Aaron Ferns really turned this team around. They struggled a little bit in the non-conference play, but that really tough schedule is starting to really pay dividends, and you're seeing that moving forward as they now sit in first place in the American Athletic Conference. They also had a big win over nationally ranked Florida Atlantic when they were ranked number 17 in the nation. That was a big home win, and you're starting to really see Halton Arena and the fans of the university really come behind Coach Fern. You know, he's got that interim head coach tag. The way their team's playing right now, it's going to be very hard for them to not name him the head coach moving forward, in my opinion. Lots of basketball left to be played. You have to see how he does in recruiting purposes, but really like what I'm seeing from him so far. And Halton Arena is just, it's been more electric than it's been in a long time. They had their biggest crowd this season against North Texas, that crowd was the largest we had since last season when App State came to town, which that App State game, those weren't all Charlotte fans. App State brought their, some of their crowd. So to have a crowd of that caliber against a team that is a 1,000 miles away, that's incredible. The team is really feeding into that energy from the crowd. You're starting to see Halton Arena return back to that Halton magic we used to see. Not quite there yet, but it's really something spectacular what Coach Fern has done. So, you know, he came into the season with the trust of his players. They fought for him to have the job, and now here he is earning the trust and belief of the fan base. Both current students and alumni are backing him. It's a really exciting time to be at Charlotte basketball. Here's what Coach Fern had to say about how he's really won over the fan base. I mean, I've just tried to be me, you know, like um... – you know, like the way I coach here is no different than when I coached 35-year-old men um, back back home in Australia. Like, I think that's the, the energy and passion you've got to have to compete, and um, I'm no different. I'm, I'm competing with them, you know, and uh, you know I want them to have great success and, and learn and have great experiences um, <coughs> because those are the things you remember. I remember them as a player playing in a little school. Mayville, North Dakota. Like I still remember those experiences to this day. Like, and the teammates that I had, and because it's you know, you talk about it all the time in sport. It's the journey that you travel with the guys, and um, and the past experiences you share. And, um, when you do that stuff together. It can be unbelievably powerful, and that's what I want them to feel. I want them to feel what the power of a team can do together. Um, when no one cares about the credit. We talk about it all the time. No, if no one cares, then we can all have success and, and uh, do, some, do some good things. What I like most about Coach Fern is he's really just been stayed true to himself. He doesn't try and project anything. He just goes out there and he coaches what he believes. He feeds into the crowd a little bit, but that's just who he is. He's a tough coach. He believes in his team. They believe in him, which 
That's half the battle as a coach. But next, they take on the Tulane Green Wave, traveling to New Orleans this Saturday at 4 p.m. It's going to be televised on ESPNU. It's going to be a tough matchup, a lot to be excited for there. And then the next Saturday at home in Halton Arena, probably going to be our biggest crowd we've had in a while. East Carolina comes to town. Halton Arena has been rocking recently. ECU has a very strong fan base that travels. This is the games you want to play. This is why we got into this conference, for this rivalry to take shape. Be a lot to look forward to, a lot to be excited for there. And then when you look back, these last two games are on a six-game win streak, sitting in first place in the conference. They're winning multiple ways. Fair amount of those wins have been from them taking the lead early on and not giving it up at all, which is impressive in its own right. But then two of their wins, they fell down by as much as 20 points in the game and found a way to battle back. That's really impressive from the team. And guys really stepped up in the clutch moments. Been Lukai Patterson. He bowed some injuries this season. He's starting to get really healthy and play really well. And at the end of the games, that's who they trust that had the ball in his hands. And he's taking that, running with it, doing a great job, helping lead this team to places we haven't been in a very long time. It's a lot to be excited for for Charlotte men's basketball. Then when you look at Charlotte women's basketball, for the first time in a very long time, probably at least a decade, I don't know the exact timeline on this, both men's and women's basketball sat atop the conference standings within a third of the season being played in conference. That's big for them. Charlotte's women's basketball ended up losing to Temple in a tough road loss, which knocked them into third place, but still very exciting for Charlotte basketball, men's and women's. In that game against Temple, they lost. It was just really came down to kind of sluggish starts out of the breaks. Opened up the first quarter. They lost that quarter 18-13. to Then coming out of halftime, they were outscored 20-13 to in the third quarter, ultimately only losing by five. They had a late rally that just fell a little bit short, but you travel up to Temple, that's a tough road trip. That's a tough game to play. Still a lot to be excited for there. They return home tomorrow, Saturday. They take on the Tulsa Golden Hurricanes at 4 p.m. First time we played this program since March 5th of 2014. Very long time. These programs don't really know each other that well. That's the exciting part. First season in a new conference, new opponents. This is what it's all about. Halton Arena has been showing the magic for the men's team. Let's see what we can do for the women's team tomorrow. See how that game shakes up. Then looking at Charlotte's baseball program, they're 21 days away from when they kick off their season with a three-game series with Virginia Tech. Starts on February 16th. Team's got a lot of new faces. They brought in 31 new players, all set to make their debut. A lot to be excited for from them. A lot of returners that would be excited for. I don't want to get too much into that because our guest today is head coach Robert Woodard. Have him come on, talk about state of the program, what he's seen from teams over the years, what he's seen from the players in the program this year, what he hopes to expect from them this season, and a very tough schedule for them. But if you want to play big games, you got to have the schedule for it. It's going to be a lot of battles early on, which could prove – very vital to how they succeed. We saw that with men's basketball this season. They took their bumps and bruises and out-of-conference play, but 
They learn from it. And that's why we're seeing the success in conference play this year. Hope to see the Charlotte baseball. And then Charlotte softball, preseason accolades came out. Charlotte softball is set to finish second place in the American Athletic Conference this season after a very successful final season in Conference USA. A lot to be excited for. Star players Sam Gress and Ella Chancey received some national praise as well. Greece was being named to the Softball American preseason top 100 players list, coming in at number 78 in the country. And Chansey was recognized as the 10th best third baseman in the country. Those players are going to be very key to the season's success. They open up their season on February 8th, playing in the Joanne Graff Classic, taking on number four ranked Florida State to begin the season down in Tallahassee, Florida. So their season's very soon. A lot to be excited for from them. This is my favorite time of year. Baseball is my favorite sport. I'm a little, a lot of connection with the program here. My brother played here years ago. A lot to be excited for. Love baseball season. So, without further ado, here's our guest. Um, joining the podcast today is special guest, the fastest coach to 100 wins in program history, Coach Robert Woodard. Thanks for coming on today, Coach. Thanks, Sam. Excited to be here. I know the season right around the corner. Before we get into like the specifics of this season, I want to look back a little bit. Last year was a really big year for you. You got engaged. You won the conference tournament. First coach Hunter wins. How would you sum up 2023 for you? Just thankful. You know, I mean, it's it's just in you listing those things right there. I mean, that in itself makes it a pretty pretty special year. But, you know, just – it was a special group of guys that, that we got to have in 2023 and then, you know, to hear four of them get drafted and two of them also get to sign and um, so many seniors that graduated that played such a big role in our, our success and our accomplishments, certainly at the back end, you know, with those guys emptying the tank in their careers and, um, you know, and then going to work and bringing in 31 new guys to keep it going and uh, keep moving forward. And as you touched on, getting engaged this fall was was incredible. And, uh, you know, getting to marry your best friend is, is you know, probably the best best feeling I've ever had, at least, you know, as, as far as leading up to it. And um, the fact that she's here and we get to kind of be a part of everything together here at Charlotte is, is special. And we, we're both thank- thankful and we certainly don't take it for granted. Um, coach, throughout your time here, you've built some really good teams. Teams before last season have been really good in the regular season, had a little bit of struggles in the conference tournament. What made last team special to be able to get over that hump? That's a great question. You know, it's uh, the conference tournament, my experience of 14 years coaching Division One baseball. I don't want to call it a crapshoot, but it's like a one-week sprint of, you know, not that you hope you play well, but it's – I don't know. It's 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 interesting. Like I, I've been a part of some teams that didn't, you know, didn't lose a conference series all year, and then you get to the conference tournament, and it's like a completely different team for one week. And then I've been a part of teams that just really had a roller coaster season and won the conference tournament championship and rolled into a regional and super regional, et cetera. And so I don't know. Like you just sort of. I think this group, 
probably what separated was there was a really strong core group of guys, the Austin Knights, the Jack Dragons, the Jake Cunninghams, Cam Fishers, Caden Hobsons, just guys who had been here for two, three years. And some of the, some of those names and others a part of the, uh, you know, Dante DeFranco, guys who were a part of the 2021 regional, um, almost hosted a regional and then got, you know, knocked out of the conference tournament there in two games, played awful in Ruston. And then, you know, 2022, we felt like we were playing really well down the stretch and just played okay in Southern Miss. And I just think, again, to, t- to get back to kind of what I said earlier about the seniors, it just felt like those guys were going to empty the tank and give it all they had. And so any team that we were going to play pretty much from the F- Sunday at FIU, if you go, you know, if I had to go point to when did it, when did it shift? You go, you go point to Sunday at FIU. Um, that's really when the guys said, if you're going to beat us, you're going to, you're going to have to beat everything we got. And when they did that, we became a very, very difficult team to beat and dangerous team to play. So I would, I would say that's kind of the difference and something that, you know, I think we, we really learned as a program as far as, you know, it's things we talk about all the time, playing for, playing for each other because that's what those seniors were doing. Um, you know, playing for each other and uh, controlling the things that you can control. Um, those are th- those are two things that we talk about on a daily basis, and I think those guys just really embodied it. Um, last season, the rallying cry in that tournament was a chip in the chair. It's a new season. You got a chair at a new table, the new conference. You got a lot more chips this season. What do you hope to see coming out of the team? Season starts with a basically new roster with thirty-one new players. Yeah, no, I mean it's I mean it's a great reference in terms of I, I mean everybody's O and O. So when it, when you know we've got we've got more chips to per se than maybe we did when we were down to our last game in the conference tournament last year, but so does everybody else. Every team in the country is sitting at the table with chips in front of them, and it's a matter of us again controlling the things that we can control, um, not allowing things to distract us or disrupt us that are not important. Um, you know, we win a big hand or a big game to not allow that to have us, you know, feel as though we're overconfident in our abilities and those types of things, you know, because it's a long season. I mean, it's 55 regular season games, 56 if we add another. Then you got four-plus games in the conference championship. Then you're going to a regional, super regional. I mean, by the time you get to Omaha, it's about 70 games. It takes 600 innings. If you want to go to the College World Series, you go look at any, like, any team stats that go to the College World Series, it's 600 innings. You, it, you have to play 600 innings to get there. So, you know, as far as like opening opening day, you're sitting there with the chips in front of you. Like we're going to have the same amount of chips as Virginia Tech. But, you know, if it goes great and, you know, we win that first one, um, that's nine of about 600 innings that we're going to play. If it doesn't go how we want it to, then we get up the next morning and we go back We go back to it. Um and it's, that's that's part of the one of the things I loved about the game of baseball just coming up versus some other sports is like, you know, in hoops you play two maybe three games a week, Bat, football you get one shot a week, and you know there's a lot of practices in between. And I love practice. Our players know that. But um, once spring gets here, it's it's just game after game after game, and those those are the best opportunities to learn and get better. And we try we we take a lot of pride as, of being a team that. We will not be the same team in June that we are in February, and that's just that just stems from one of my favorite 
coaches of all time, Dean Smith, longtime basketball coach at the University of North Carolina. And he would always talk about that, how, you know, his teams, he, he were never going to be the same in November, December as they are in March. And when people come watch us play in February, we certainly want to be a high caliber team firing on all cylinders. But whatever we are in February, we plan we plan and work very hard on being better in June. Um, we run 31 new players. Charlotte baseball's kind of got a history even before you were the coach of really utilizing transfers. My brother transferred here to baseball. I don't know if I ever told you that. But um, what do you think makes Charlotte such a good transfer destination for players? Well, I think, I mean, high school play, we have 10 high school players and 21 transfers. So we've certainly established ourselves not only in baseball, but all sports as, you know, just a first class university to attend go to class, get a degree. It's going to set you up for life. You know, after your four years here, we're in Charlotte, North Carolina, just one of the top rated cities in the, in the country. Um, you got fortune 500 companies left and right. You got the facilities that we have here are first class. Um, you know, our athletic department's led by, you know, one of the best, you know, one of the best, I think the best athletic director in the country and Mike Hill and his, his executive team of Reagan Hill and Darren Spees and Chris Thomason and Scott Kroll and I'm leaving others out, Scott Bird. But, you know, everybody here is committed. Everybody's here committed is committed to winning and recruits see that and they feel it when they're on campus. And so I think for guys, you know, our high school guys, I think those guys grew up paying attention, watching us, watching us in the regional in 21 and, you know, win 36 games in 22 and in the Clemson regional last year, um, being one of the last 32 teams standing and wanted to come here and be a part of it and keep building. And then I think there's the, you know, the 21 transfers, same thing. Like they might not have known as much about us out of high school. A lot of those guys are from all over the country. Right. So like the if you're growing up in the region, North Carolina, certainly, then you have some and you have some awareness. But, you know, we've got guys from Utah, California, Arizona, Florida, et cetera, that maybe, you know, once they went to another institution or a junior college and they're, you know, they're they're paying attention to college baseball. They see our program and they do their research. And because of those things listed, they want to come be a part of it. Um and so, uh, you know, and I get to coach with the the best guys, too. Like, I mean, I think, you know, Toby Bicknell, Phil Sebuar, Michael Lowe, Tyler Simmons, Eric McKibben. I mean, those guys, I, I, every day, every day I get to come in and, and, and be around those guys. I'm just so fortunate because they're, they're elite coaches and they're elite people and you know they're on they're the ones that are on the phones the most with the players that we recruit and they're the ones that interact the most you know i mean i'm i'm on the phone with recruits and and i'm certainly around them on visits and that sort of thing but just as an assistant coach you're just really in the recruiting trenches and that sort of thing and and um they just do an incredible job of showcasing our our university our program in this city so you know i think i think all those things combined are really what pull you know, so many talented players and great people here to come play baseball. Um, you just mentioned him, Coach Michael O. He was a player for you at Charlotte his grad year. What's that relationship like him? You just got announced as pitching coach. How'd that come about with him? Yeah, no, it's a, it's a, I'm glad you, you brought that up. Um, it's a really 
really cool story that I can kind of run through quickly. Um, November of 2018, I got on a plane to go see another pitcher pitch. I flew to Minneapolis. I drove down to Mason City, Ohio, which for anybody that or sorry, Mason City, Iowa. Um, if, if anybody's been to Mason City, Iowa in November, it is uh, no offense, but it, it's I'm glad it was a very short trip. I think I was there for like three hours, and then I went back to the airport and flew home. Um, anyways, but I was in a, you know I was in a gym and I was watching the pitcher that I was there to see. He was great, ended up recruiting him and that sort of thing. But um, Michael really caught my eye. Um, one, the pitcher I was there to see through second, Michael threw first. The coach told me that Michael was their best pitcher, and um, you know didn't throw the hardest and that sort of thing. And so that's why he didn't tell me about him before the trip. But I was like. Well, from now on, can you tell me about your best pitchers? And that'd be great. And so, watched Michael throw, and he he threw really well. And invited him to come down for a visit. This is when I was the pitching coach at UNC, and uh, recruited him and committed him there. And then, like I said, that was November of 2018. July of 2019, I get the opportunity to come here. So I don't get to, you know, he goes to North Carolina. I don't get to coach him for two years. He gets his degree from there, but has one more year left. So goes in the transfer portal, and and thankfully we get to have him for his last year of college as a grad transfer here. And, um, you know, just one of the most down-to-earth, likable, hardworking personalities I've ever been around, incredibly smart, um, you know, just has a really, really bright future in the game of baseball, you know, or anything really if he decides that, some point that to get out of it, which I'd be surprised, but, um, you know, he's just really, really talented and a great person. And so it was kind of a no brainer when Austin Miney, uh, our, our pitching coach at the time, um, and one of my close friends got offered the opportunity to go be a, a pitching coach with the Baltimore Orioles in their system. Um, you know, great opportunity for him. Um, uh, it, it was really a no brainer for, for me to one, try to elevate, Philip Sebihar into our full-time position um, as our hitting coach, who because he done you know he's he's an incredible coach and has done an awesome job here for us in all facets. Uh, but to get Mike started and um, you know what we kind of do, what we've done here in the short time is similar to Coach Miney. He started as a pitching coordinator and then kind of after a year, year and a half of of kind of learning the ropes and work, we work together, um, kind of just. You know, all right. Here's the keys to the car. Drive it. You know, and go go for it. And um, you know, Mike's more than ready for that. He's he's just done a tremendous job in a year and a half of of you know really working with our pitchers and helping me there. And um, you know, his skill sets and how good he is at at working with pitchers allows me to really kind of stay involved with the pitching. And you know, I'll, I'll, I'll always. I'll always be involved, you know, in the pitching here, but it allows me to kind of continue to have more of a broad view of the program and continue to push some things and put, you know, put my time towards pushing some things forward that we really need as a program. Um, you touched on it talking about the recruiting visit, but a lot of coaches like to focus on these guys that throw fast, but you like to have an arsenal of different arms, different pitches, what they can do. How important is that to uh, – a long season, 600 innings is the goal. Got a lot of pitchers throwing. How important is it to have a wide variety of weapons? Yeah, I mean, I myself, I mean, in high school, I could, I could touch 92 or 93. And then once I got into college, I kind of had some shoulder impingements and whatnot. And I 
I mean, I had days where I pitched at 82 miles an hour. I had days where I pitched at 88 miles an hour and, you know, was still, I was still able to find ways to get outs. And obviously the game's changed and that was now a long time ago, but, uh, um, you know, velocity is important, but I mean, you guys, you guys know in here, like it's, there's plenty of guys out there that throw really hard. There's lots of guys that hit balls 450 feet in batting practice. You know, power is, in a, it's an important part of the game that we will recruit and that we will develop. Um, but you definitely have to have that sweet spot of, you know, power and the ability to execute. So it's sort of a sliding scale in my book in terms of, you know, if you've got power, let's just talk on the mound. If you've got that power arm and the ability to execute, you're going to be an elite pitcher and you're going to be a draft pick. I mean, that's why Wyatt Hudipole and Donye Evans and Spencer Geesting and Bryce McGowan and these guys get drafted from us as pitchers is because they have the ability to, they have the power element with the ability to execute, right? But then there's Paxton Thompson, who power his power increased. You know, he had he had the pitch ability and the ability to execute, and the power kind of increased. So he got to sign as a he got to sign as a undrafted free agent. Same thing with Hale Sims. Um, and then there's so many good pitchers, you know, on our staff the last now and the last few years that, you know, I certainly hope they get drafted, but they're just going to be darn good pitchers because they have the ability to execute and enough power to get it done. So we just try to find that sweet spot, really. Um, I mean, obviously, if you can recruit an entire stable of power and execution, then you're going to have one of the best staffs in the country. But, you know, there's there's plenty of Michael O's that can execute that will work their tails off and the power will, will grow with time. So, yeah, that's kind of just in a nutshell kind of how we go about it. And you can't have too many of them. I mean, if we find an arm that we think can help us, we just find a way to get them. <laughs> can never have too many. Um, looking at the pitching staff this year, you got Cameron Hansen's a returner. He made the all-conference preseason team. Then Miles Langhorn, you had really high expectations for him last year. I think he's found what's clicked for him and – what do you expect from those two coming into this season? I mean, Cam, they talk, you talk about good teams are led by coaches, great teams are led by players, and the, Cam is one of those players, pitchers for us that gives us a chance to be great because he's he can he's going to be the voice, the leader in that pitching staff, along with Tony Rossi and some other guys that – you know, when the coaches aren't in the locker room, they're not off the field, they're not on the back of the bus, they're not at, you know, wherever the table when you're eating at the team meal. I mean, they're going to be the guys that are that are really setting the tone for the team and how we go about it. And and so, yeah, I mean, he's just a really good pitcher who's worked extremely hard, um, anticipating a heavy workload from him. He's he, you know, because he's he's worked so hard and um, he's he's got so much experience, so. Um, excited for him to uh, to have a, a big year, and you know he's just such a great person. Could the the recon- he doesn't get enough recognition. I know he's gotten some preseason all conference selections and those types of things, but for how great of a person and teammate he is, you know, I mean he he deserves it all. So, um, and then as far as Miles goes, I mean he's as talented as any pitcher I've coached. I mean he really is, and you know the growth and maturity that he's he's shown and his year and a half of being here is, you know, I don't, I don't know if there's many, many guys that have made bigger jumps on that facet. I mean, he's real. I mean, I told, 
he threw last couple weeks he's been throwing bullpens and we've just been having conversations about how he just kind of has a look like he's like 23 24 25 years old right now you know and then maybe when he got here he really I mean I think he was 19 and you know I think he was really a 19 year old pitcher who's extremely talented and that sort of thing so um just credit to him I mean he's he works so hard he's like he's one of those guys like I'll walk into the indoor facility at seven o'clock or eight o'clock just passing through on my way out and uh and he'll be in there doing something you know like he's just so committed to being he wants to be good I mean he wants to be great and he's uh you know it's almost one of those things where um I'm just excited for him because I think I think that this is this is the year where you know it all comes together and he can really break out for us um, Wyatt Hudipole last season was the big standout from the recruiting class pitching-wise. Is there a new pitcher coming in that you really expect big things from? That's a great question. I mean, you know, Wyatt, I, and I tell people this all the time, I mean, I, we knew Wyatt was good. Like, we knew he was really good. Um, I recruited the heck out of him out of high school. I mean, I flew up to Cincinnati in January and watched him throw in a gym. In like January of 2019, I think, and um, unfortunately, you know, he he chose to go to Kentucky. I think he was dating a girl that went to Kentucky, and I did not win that battle. Um, it's a hard one to win. But uh, anyways, to get off of his relationships, um, <laughs> you know, ultimately, you know, he was there for two years and decided he wanted to go somewhere else where he could develop. And uh, you know, he got to us and. We were we were pumped because, I mean, that's just they don't make them any better than Wyatt Hudipole. I mean, that is an alpha ace of spade human who I, I don't know if I've actually seen someone go from. I mean, he threw. I mean, I think in Kentucky, I think he was ninety ninety two, touch ninety three. I mean, he told us that if he touched ninety two at Kentucky, he was that was a good day for him. You know, and then most of the first innings for us, he would touch 96 or 97. And um, that's just a credit to him and all the work he put in and the training with Eric McKibben, the training with Michael O. And um, I just don't know if I've seen a pitcher go from, you know, really his floor to his ceiling in nine months like Wyatt. And, I mean, he was such a beast for us last spring. I mean, it was – it was incredible. I mean, the old Dominion game here at the Hayes where he punched out, I think, 17 program record, zero walks on top of that. I mean, that'll go that'll go down as one of the best performances in program history forever. I mean, that's going to be the game that – I mean, there'll be people – there'll be other pitching performances 20, 30 years from now where they'll go back and go, yeah, you know, wasn't as good as that one. Or – Man, I can't believe, you know, they're going to always reference that performance. And, um, yeah, so I just, you know, Wyatt, Wyatt just an incredible year. And um, I think the Mets, a lot of the Mets publications are tapping him as kind of like the dark horse of their draft class. And, you know, I, he's he's on that. I think we've got like 12 or so guys that are in pro ball right now that I think we're going to be seeing a good number of major league debuts in the next 36 months. So that's gonna be that's gonna be pretty cool for the program. Speaking of the players you got drafted, 
Is that a big selling point when it comes to recruiting? Do you mention that a lot for that? Because you had a lot of players in your time here make that jump to pro ball. Yeah, it's, I mean, absolutely, right? Like, and then the great thing is, is it kind of sells itself. Um, We're not one of those coaching staffs that tries to be high sell. We try to be a coaching staff that is, this is who we are. You know, what you see is what you get. If you want to be a part of it, like, you know, let's go. Um, And so these guys, they do their homework. They pay attention. The 21 transfers, the 10 high school guys that came in, I mean, they watched watched those guys play. They watched those guys pitch. And um, they see Cam Fisher go from pretty much redshirting, not playing his freshman year at Ole Miss, being a number three catcher, to going to Walter State and – hitting fifth or sixth of the order behind Alberto Asuna and, you know, working his way into becoming an outfielder to, you know, coming to Charlotte and, I don't know, what is he, second all-time in home runs or tied for first in two years. So he tied the all-time home run record in two years um, and is a first-team All-American after basically being in – you know, not playing his first year and a number three catcher. I mean, so it's just guys pay attention to, I, I think, the development side. Again, it gets back to our coaching staff. It gets back to our administration being so committed to um, everything from technology to nutrition to the facilities to our coaches spending so much time and effort into utilizing those things and trying to maximize those things and then our players getting all the credit for coming here understanding that they're not just going to get better because those things are here they use those things on a daily basis to grow and improve and I think recruits pay attention to that and uh, it's it's the draft and the pro, the pro stuff is a byproduct of all those things and so we certainly sell those things but we prefer for guys that we recruit to sort of understand that that's who we are without us really having to oversell it kind of thing because there's nothing guaranteed like I can't guarantee you're going to come here and be a draft pick I want you to you know if you don't aspire to be a draft pick if you don't aspire to go to Omaha if you don't aspire to get a degree then we tell guys all the time you shouldn't come here right like if 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 it's if it's only about one of those things or two of those things or you think that those things are too hard or unreachable then don't come here so you know, and then again, credit to all credit to all those guys that have been able to accomplish that. And the nice thing is, we, I think we've got a bunch more on this team that will be able to, you know, kind of carry the torch. Um, a key returning player, Brandon Stallman. Last year was his first year at the program. This fall, when you had the World Series, he was the first pick for that. How big is that? Seeing that growth from him, and what do you expect to see from him this year? Yeah, I mean, it's again. To, it's a little bit more coach speak, but when your best when your best players are your hardest workers, that's like a coach's dream. When your when your best players don't work, it's a real challenge. And Brandon Stallman is one of he's one of our best players, and he's one of our hardest workers, if not our hardest worker. And he just really sets the tone with the things that he says, the things that he does, how he goes about it. 
And on top of that, everybody's seen the progression. I mean, he's, he's gone from battling to start at third base to winning the third base job, starting, I think, I think he was started last year, opening day, like seventh or eighth hole, you know, kind of barely the starting third baseman. And then by the end of the year, he's the no the everyday third baseman hitting five hole and he's 10 pounds stronger and bat speed's gone up and swing decisions have gone up and playmaking's gone up and speed's gone up. Then he goes off to Cape Cod and continues to improve those things, continue to grow. And, you know, he's competing for the starting shortstop job and it hasn't been decided yet, but he's, you know, he's in, he's, he started at shortstop, both of our exhibition games this fall, both of those went really well. I don't know if we made an error in any of those games, knock on wood, but defensively we were very sound. He was at shortstop and he's kind of that middle linebacker, you know, I think I described somebody else like I'm a big Panthers fan and he's he's kind of our Luke Keekley. Like he's kind of the guy he's he's the guy that when he's in the middle of the field, he's gonna make sure everybody around him knows what they need to know, is where they're supposed to be, and just gives us a better chance to be successful. Um, one of the new players that really stood out in fall ball was Juan Correa. What do you expect from him? And talk about how important fall baseball is, especially when you have thirty one new players. I think that's a very um, un, the unknown part about college baseball, which is very important in my opinion. Yeah. Well, to start with Juan, I mean, he's one of the biggest recruits in our entire recruiting class, if not our biggest. Um, I mean, we really, we really fought against some, some top programs to get him to leave the state of Florida and to come here. And, you know, he's just, he's an incredible person. I mean, I think he's, he's pre-business, um, He's on the um, athletic director's list his, his fall here, pre-business. Um, to your point, like had a really great fall offensively and played a really, really good first base for us defensively. So good to where, I mean, Spencer Nolan played an elite first base for us last year, but having Juan there has allowed us to really get Spencer where he needs to be, which is more in center field. Um, so when you have Jake Cunningham – we have the, when you have the luxury of having Jake Cunningham, you can have an elite defender like Spencer at first base, but it really helps us having Spencer in center now that Jake's gone. And um, yeah, Juan's just extremely talented player. The sky's the limit. I don't, you know, there's not there's not a pitcher in the country I don't think that can overmatch him. Um, yeah, I mean, every single time he's in the box, it feels like something great's going to happen. So. You know, we've had a few of those players here, Cam Fisher, Jake Cunningham, David McCabe, um, you know, Nate Furman. Just we've had a bunch of those guys that have been in the box. Like you just know something good's going to happen. He's kind of got that feel. So we're fortunate to have him. And then in terms of the 31, bringing in 31 players, you know, I mean, we had a ton of guys drafted and graduate last year. And, um, you know, this day and age, there's just some guys that if, if, if they want to, you know, kind of have a little bit more playing time, um, you know, sometimes guys go somewhere for that reason too, and that's okay. Um, so we had a little bit of that, um, but then we had a big returning group of core guys, uh, which is, which is going to be important for us every year. And then you bring in, you know, a whole new group and 31 guys and some of my friends and coaching, they're like, how do you do that? And that sort of thing. But I just, I think it's, I enjoy it like that. That's coaching. You know, it'd be easy just to have the same team from last year and, okay, guys, you guys know what to do. Let's go. Like, I think that complacency can hurt you. Um, 
I think bringing, you know, I think when you have the ability to return a core group of guys and bring in a really talented, hardworking group like we brought in this fall, and then you combine all that, like, okay, now let's let's really teach. Let's really um, have a high attention to detail and, um, you know, really enjoy the process of seeing these guys kind of go from strangers to best friends, you know, and that's that's what we saw last year, um, you know, because I think we brought in 24 last year and which was our smallest recruiting class since we've been here. But, um, yeah, I mean, that's that's probably the coolest part of my job, honestly, is watching guys go from all parts of the country and come together. By the time we get to June, they're all best friends and, um, you know, friends for life. And you start, you know, start looking at like I went to David McCabe, David, David McCabe's wedding a few weeks back. And I mean, I think there was like 26 players, like former players there, something like something crazy. And, um, you're just looking around and you start to think about all the recruiting stories, right? Like you start thinking about, you know, if you don't recruit one of these guys or, you know, if this guy doesn't choose to come here and be a part of this Charlotte baseball family and play for the nine across the chest, if they don't, you know, then they're, they're not there and they're not experiencing that. And so those are the things that I just really enjoy. And, uh, we've certainly see, seen that with this group and, uh, I know everybody's excited for February 16th to get here. Um, but just as their coach, you know, just let's just try and be really good on January 25th and make the most of it and keep stacking days until it gets here. I know you don't think too much about the preseason rankings, but being ranked second in the conference, the new conference, how big is that? How, what does that say about the program? Um, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it, it I don't know. I don't put too much stock in it at all. I certainly, I think it's really, I think it's really nice that our, our, you know, my peers and our co my colleagues, um, without really knowing our team, because, you know, you go, you go look at the, the preseason conference ranking or not, you know, the, the list of teams and nominees for, for that sort of thing. I mean, most of our guys were, you know, playing at Kirkwood or playing at, Lawson State or playing at Central Florida or, you know, I don't know, just playing at all these other schools. And, for you know, so for the other coaches in our conference to, you know, to kind of look at it, look at it and, and vote for us to be, you know, in the discussion for being at the top, like I, I have a real appreciation for that because I know where we were when we got here, you know, like I'm pretty sure like my first year when we got here, we were picked to be next to last. And then I think we were picked to be like 13th in 2021. So on one hand, I remember that feeling, you know, and believing that we were going to prove people wrong and we did. But then on the other hand, I also know that, Hey, we got, you know, there's, there's a team, there's some teams down there that are not being voted where we are that are going to be pretty freaking good. And because of our experience ourselves being there, there's a 0% chance we're going to take any of the, anybody lightly. So, you know, it's just too hard. Um, but it's great. You know, we have a lot of respect for every team in the league. Um, you know, East Carolina, they've, they've, they've really had a tremendous run the last decade. 
as far as, you know, hosting regionals and going to supers and, you know, Cliff's done a tremendous job and they always have great teams and, you know, what Pat's done at, uh, at UTSA the last few years, um, I've really, I've really been impressed with, I mean, they're, they're just one of the toughest hard noses, like hard nosed teams that we play. And, you know, coach McCormick at FAU, those guys, I mean, it's, it just feels like they've got professionals all over the field. Every time we, we match up with those guys, you know, and I can continue to go down the list, honestly. I mean, the, the, when we have, when we have head coaches calls or zooms or get together, um, I just have a, I have great respect for, for every coach in the league, um, and the job that they're doing. And it's one of the main, one of the big reasons why we're so excited to be a part of the American conference. Um, coach, last question for you. I ask all the players this. I think you've been coached long enough here for this question. What does it mean to you to be a Charlotte 49er? That's a great question. Um, You know, I think when I think when we won the Clemson re, the the game against Clemson in the regional, I was asked like a similar question, and I remember having the feeling sitting next to Cam Fisher that I just hope that every person in their profession gets to have the feeling that I have. You know, like it's I'm 39 years old. Um, the feeling that I have putting on the uniform for practice, putting on the uniform for a game, driving in in the morning and riding through campus and seeing our stadium, you know, seeing students walk into class. I just, it's, it's really hard to describe how good of a feeling that is. And I hope that, I hope that everybody, no matter the line of work, I hope that they get to have that feeling you know, at some point in their careers, um, because it's not something that I take for granted, and and it's something that I very I hold on to, and I'm very appreciative of. And um, this place is special. I mean, I've been I was an assistant at three different schools for nine years, and um, having been a head coach here now for five, and you know, those things that I just described to you and along with the people that are here that are, you know, that's the most important thing. I just, um, you know, I mean, Coach Bick, Coach Bick's a Charlotte native, Coach Simmons a Charlotte native, you know, we'll be at dinner and we'll just, but we'll just, we'll talk about how these are the good old days. I think that's what, I think that's what this, this means to me is like, we don't ever want to – I don't ever want to be like 60 years old and look back and say I didn't appreciate my time at Charlotte enough, you know, and because too often you look back and you say, man, those, you know, those were the good old days. But I think if you have the ability to like really appreciate that you're in the good old days while you're in them, then – you know, that's a pretty good feeling. So that's what it means to me. Um, I hope that I, that I project that and I embody that, you know, sometimes when we give up a few runs in the first inning, I might not project that, but, uh, you know, and people know I hate losing. So in terms of just my demeanor (laughs) post game, but, uh, I'm working on that. And, uh, 
you know, but this, this place means a lot to me. It means a lot to my family. It means a lot to our coaching staff and our players. And, uh, you know, when people come watch us play, that's, that's my hope is that they can not only see it, but feel it. Um, thank you. This is coach Robert Woodard joined the podcast today. Thank you again, coach for coming out. Thank you. Thanks again to head coach Robert Woodard for joining the podcast today. Now, as we look to professional sports, NFL Conference Championship matchups are here. Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs travel to Baltimore to take on Lamar Jackson and the Ravens. Should make for a good game. We saw last week Patrick Mahomes get tested for the first time playing in the playoffs on the road. And as a Bills fan, the my two least favorite words put together kind of helped Mahomes get that win with the wide right field goal from Tyler Bass. But Mahomes and the Chiefs are starting to figure it out. Baltimore, Lamar Jackson's had some playoff issues in the past. So to see how he plays against Mahomes, very interesting to see. They got the home field advantage, tough place to play. See how it shakes up for them. Should make for a really good game. I'm not sure who to pick in that game, but I'm thinking the Chiefs might get it done because it's hard to go against Mahomes and Kelsey plays at a different level in the playoffs. We saw that last week. And then in the NFC, Christian McCaffrey and the San Francisco 49ers are hosting the Detroit Lions and Jared Goff. Personally, I would really like to see the Lions win that game. I think Jared Goff has really taken his opportunity in Detroit and really ran with it after getting shipped out of Los Angeles. He didn't know what was going to happen with him. He started. He's really figured it out. And Dan Campbell has got that team playing really well. They're hard nose. They play offensively. They're really sound. But then, of course, Kyle Shanahan in his system, he's got a really good offense of the 49ers. Christian McCaffrey has been playing on another planet this season. But Brock Purdy, I don't know what to say about him. He's... He's had some high moments, like at the end of that game against the Packers, he played pretty well. But overall, he hasn't impressed me yet. But that could change against this Detroit Lions team. Detroit's had to play on the road first time this playoffs, but they also got two playoff wins the first time in a long time. They've never been here before. Shanahan's been here before. He's lost here before a lot. So it'll be interesting to see how it goes. I'd like to see the Lions go into San Francisco and secure the win. I don't know if they can do it, but I like the makeup of that team. A lot to be excited for there as they gear up for the Super Bowl. And then locally over at Bank of America Stadium, the Carolina Panthers announced that Dan Morgan, who was already working for the team, is going to be their new GM. I'm not sure how to feel about that move. I like him. I think he's got the talent to be a really good GM. I just think they needed to cut ties with the past. They've had their issues with their last GM and stuff. I think the best thing they could have done was to clear house and really start fresh. They obviously didn't go that direction. They believe Dan Morgan's the guy, which I think he could be the guy in the right spot. I just don't know if this is the right spot. But he's got the connection there as a former player. Really good linebacker for them back in the day. And then in other local sports news... The Charlotte Hornets 
they haven't been playing very well, which we've talked about that before. They were on a two-game win streak, and they lost this week to the Detroit Pistons in a just really not good basketball game to watch. But they did make a trade. Terry Rozier was traded to the Miami Heat for Kyle Lowry in a 2027 first-round draft pick. If I was the Hornets, I would have targeted maybe a younger asset that's ready to play instead of a draft pick and a aging veteran out there. But some of the general belief is they were going to buy out Kyle Lowry. At this time, they don't plan to do that. They want to see if they can ship him off in a trade, which he brings in a very large cap hit, which is why Miami is so willing to get rid of him, even though they technically took on more money from Rozier because he's under contract for more years. But interesting trade. It could shape up for the Hornets to be able to make a move for another big piece to go along with their core of LaMelo Ball and Brandon Miller. Teams had some issues staying healthy, but Brandon Miller's really been the shining light for this team this season. So... Not a lot to be super psyched about there, but you're seeing the progression come along the rebuild. They got to really figure out the health and see if LaMelo Ball can find a way to get healthy and stay healthy for once. If he can get healthy, he's the best player on the floor. He just doesn't like to stay healthy. Going over to Raleigh Wood with the Carolina Hurricanes, they had a very big win over the Boston Bruins, scoring a late goal. To take that game 3-2. Jordan Martinuk had the late breakaway goal. He was all alone. He was able to beat the keeper, beat the goalie. To take the 3-2 victory over the Boston Bruins, who are widely considered the best team in the NHL. So massive win for them. If you look at the standings, they are now... In second place in the Metropolitan Division behind the New York Rangers. Just barely behind them. They're gaining ground. They're four points back. They've played 46 games, so they're a little over halfway through the season. And the Eastern Conference as a whole, they're sitting in fourth place right now with Boston Bruins at the top, who are 29-9-9. So to get that win over them, that's really important for them. Sveshnikov is injured again for them, but hopefully should be back soon for them. Sebastian Ajo has been playing excellent. When Sveshnikov was back on the ice, he was playing really well. Still think they need to target a goalie. I don't know which one to target, but I think that is the missing piece for this team right now. But they're playing excellent hockey. They got a really good coach, a lot to be excited for there. Then as we switch gears to Major League Baseball, which is getting closer and closer every day, which is, of course, as I already said, my favorite time of year. The Braves have made some moves since we last talked. They ended up signing Chris Sale after making a trade for him, shipping off Vaughn Grisham. He was a really good hitter. They just didn't have a spot in their lineup for Chris Sale's an iffy piece. He's got some injury issues. But if he can get healthy, he can pitch at a really top level. 
which is what the Braves really need is some starting pitching depth. So if he can stay healthy, that's a big move for them. The Dodgers have recently signed Teoscar Hernandez, two-time All-Star, helped fill out the outfield. They're always making moves this offseason. Really starting to turn into both the villain and the hero of Major League Baseball, in my opinion. Obviously, they're the villain. They've spent a billion dollars this offseason. Everyone hates them. They're targets on their backs from everyone. But also, as a whole for Major League Baseball, I feel like they're the hero. They're bringing more attention to the game. Shohei Otani has never played in the playoffs. He's supposed to be the biggest star for Major League Baseball. If the Dodgers can get him into the playoffs, that makes them the hero. Because the way you grow the game is by putting your biggest players on the biggest stages. That's a way to do that. That would bring more eyes to baseball. The last year's World Series, we saw one of the lower viewerships in a very long time. So if the Dodgers can get it done and get Otani in the World Series, viewership's just going to go up. So a lot to be excited for Major League Baseball on the horizon. And this past week, they announced their Hall of Fame inductees. A little controversial, but Adrian Beltre got in. I don't know how he did, wouldn't get in. First ballot Hall of Famer. It's been proven. Got 95% of the vote out of the needed 75%. And then the controversial ones, Joe Maurer, which a lot of people say isn't a Hall of Famer, which I think he is. He might not have the stats there, but he was the face of baseball for years, and the stats he's got as a catcher are really good. I'm not sure he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. But winning the batting title three times as a catcher, really difficult to do. And I think it's good for the game to to put him in the Hall of Fame. Because at the end of the day, I feel like the Hall of Fame is another way to grow the game and get fans to support it. Putting your faces of baseball in the Hall of Fame is good. And Todd Helton got in, another controversial pick because he played in Colorado, high altitude. He had really good numbers. Not saying he's not deserving or is deserving. That's a hard one for me to judge. I didn't really get to watch him play much growing up. But his numbers really hold up well, even being inflated with Colorado. So overall, really good class because I think there's nothing worse for baseball than that year they had nobody get inducted to the Hall of Fame. That really hurt baseball and his growth and trying to reach more people. But that's all I got for you guys. A lot to be excited for. Halton Arena is jumping right now. Basketball is play, being played excellently right now. Baseball and softball seasons are about to start. Big expectations for them. Softball just installed. Seats out in right field to get more fans at the games. Those two programs are really excited. Both projected to come in second in the conference. See how that shapes up. But overall, really good time to be a Niner. And thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with more Charlotte Athletic News.